Tonight is a, is a great night. Um, it's a beautiful night. Uh, I, I was just sitting there, and I normally close my eyes when we sing, but like, I was sitting there with my eyes open at one point. I was looking out behind me, or looking out that direction. I was like, wow, this is a beautiful spot. Um, and it's beautiful that we get to sit here and, and we get to sing praises. Um, and it's beautiful that we get to open God's Word. I hope you have your Bible with you tonight. Um, and, and we're going to be spending, if you want to go ahead and be turning to Exodus 19, that's where we're going to be as we start out this evening. Um, and, and really, we're going we're gonna to be in Exodus for most of our time tonight. So you can open up to Exodus, pretty much assume that you're going to be there, uh, except for a brief moment um, later on in the lesson. Tonight, we look at this idea uh, as we continue our series onward, onward from, from what's taking place, but really onward from just different things in life. And, and at some points, I think it's important to look at how certain people in Scripture moved onward from things in their life and see how we can take it and apply it to ourselves. So, so tonight we're looking at this idea of onward from Sinai, onward from Mount Sinai, this, this place in Scripture that is so uh, well-loved. And we're going to see how... Um, how people, and I'm not going to spoil the surprise, but how certain people moved onward from Sinai there in Exodus. Have you ever had a life-changing moment? Have you ever had a life-changing moment? Now, I know for uh, a lot of us who are sitting in this room, we would sit there and say something, uh, you know, that, that there was something spiritual that changed our life. And, and I think that that is a, a fair way um, or a fair thing that is definitely life-changing. Maybe you would say, hey, the, t- the moment I was baptized was life-changing. It really um, put an emphasis on where my life needed to be. Maybe you would say uh, that, that it was a moment at a church camp, or maybe it was a moment at church. We, we uh, I, I, for that's definitely like the biggest life-changing moment. For, for this little uh, idea of life-changing moment, though, I want you to think maybe about a secular thing. For me, I can, I've had many um, because I'm a dramatic person, so I've had many life-changing moments. Um, but I can specifically think of one. Uh, growing up, I was a Tennessee fan, which made no sense, okay? So my dad was a, uh, was a West Virginia fan. He went to West Virginia University. We always watched West Virginia games growing up. But my brother and I, like the good Tennessee boys that we are, became Tennessee fans. And we were kind of casual Tennessee fans. We would watch the games so they would come on TV. My parents were too cheap to have cable, so it was rare when we would get to watch them. But when they would come on TV, we would definitely turn on the TV and watch the Vols. It was awesome. And I remember when I was younger, I was in middle school. Like I said, my dad was not a Tennessee fan, but my dad got offered some free tickets to a Tennessee UAB football game. And if you're a Tennessee fan, you probably remember that Tennessee UAB game from back a lot. I don't even remember the year. But Tennessee had to go to overtime and and beat UAB. And I remember it was a cool atmosphere, but it wasn't to me a fully life-changing Vol experience. It was a few years later when I went to my second Tennessee game. And it was when Tennessee was playing against Georgia. And there they were. It was, it was this hugely fantastic team, Georgia. Everybody knew that Tennessee was going to get blown out of the water. Yet there was Tennessee, this team that, that wouldn't even make a bowl game that year. And they took Georgia to, I think it was double overtime. And that was my first ever SEC football game. This, this first time when I, it was an SEC team versus SEC team, Neyland Stadium was incredibly loud. And it was at that moment I was like, 
I'm the biggest Tennessee fan you know. And I was fully invested, and, and I, I uh, from that moment on, became disgustingly invested in Tennessee football, and I've been disappointed ever since. Um, but from that moment, it really changed my life and, and the way I uh, was going to watch sports. Because on Saturdays, you knew where I was going to be. It was going to be in front of a TV watching the Vols play. To me, that stands out in my mind as a moment that changed only one small section of my life. What about you, and, and specifically, on a bigger sense, what about these people in Exodus, six, or Exodus 19? See, what we're going to see in Exodus 19 is this life-changing moment, this, this time for the Israelites, where they're going to have something take place that, that could be a life-changing moment. They're going to witness something that I think if any of us witnessed, we would never forget it for the rest of time. And in the beginning of chapter 19, we're going to see the Israelites rolling into Sinai, rolling into this area. So what we're going to do is we're going to start in verse 1 of Exodus 19. And we're going to start reading, and we're going to kind of go uh, through different parts of this story. And what we're going to end up doing is we're going to end up bringing it all together as we go on. It starts in verse 1. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, so there they are, they had left Egypt. On that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel camped and camped. Where before the mountain? So here they are. They're setting up camp. Sinai is there. They are they're kicking back, saying, you know what? We're going to set up camp at the base in this mountain. This mountain where so much spiritual history is going to take place, where so many uh, these big moments that we would say in the Bible are going to take place, things that we would be familiar with. And this is one of them. It's a place where God loves to reveal his power. For me personally, when I study Exodus 19, it's, it's a passage that, that's not super often talked about, but I find myself going back to it over and over again because what it does is it shows how powerful God is and how beautiful it is that God has this, this just overwhelming power over the earth. God is going to sit here, and, and in these next couple passages, he's going to say, Hey, Moses, uh, I, I want to um, show the people my power. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to set limitations. You're going to tell people, hey, don't do this. Don't do that. Wear this type of thing. Uh, if they don't, they're going to die. And he's going to end up revealing himself to the people. Let's pick up in verse 10. It says, The Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people, and you shall set limits for the people all around, saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the edge of the mountain, are you ready for the intensity of this, shall be put to death. But you can't touch them, but he shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. Verse 16. On the morning of the third day, here we are. are you, get, you guys ready for this? On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain, and a very loud trumpet blast, so that all the people in the camp 
trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they stood there and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. I hope you're envisioning this. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered in thunder. Then the Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain, and Moses went up. These ten verses say a lot, describe a lot. First off, they said, hey, keep yourself clean. Don't set foot past the boundary or you're going to die. Um, and, and then we get to one of the most intense moments that we don't talk about in Scripture. I want you to just sit there and imagine it with me. We're going to kind of go through. So create an image in your mind. You're standing there at a base of a mountain. You've been told that, that this God that, that we worship, this God that you read about, this God that for the Israelites, by the way, have seen so much in the last year with all the plagues in Egypt. But you're told that this God, this God that we know, the one that we just sang praises to, is about to reveal himself. And suddenly... A thick cloud begins surrounding the mountain you're looking at. And within that mountain, or within that cloud, you're hearing claps of thunder that sound terrifying. You're seeing these intense flashes of lightning. I don't know about you guys at this moment. I'm already feeling like I'm about to die. And then out of that same cloud, out of that same lightning, you could be thinking this is all natural. A trumpet sound takes place, and it's no longer natural. It's all God sitting there and, and, and being a part of this moment. And then you see fire descending on the mountain. And because of the fire, there's smoke everywhere. And on top of that, the entire mountain is trembling. It's shaking. And then the person who you followed out of Egypt would say something to the mountain. Except he wasn't speaking to the mountain. He was speaking to God. And when he would speak, thunder would roll back as God answered him. And the people in this moment were going to tremble. They were going to be terrified. They were going to understand that God was in control of that moment. What I want us to do now is, is keep that in your head. Think about what just took place with the Israelites. Keep it there in the forefront of your mind. And we're going to take a step back to just, it wasn't even a year ago at this point when this takes place. Yes, less than a year earlier on what pretty much all scholars, there are a few that would disagree, but pretty much all scholars would agree is the same mountain. We're going to see uh, something similar but yet a lot smaller take place in chapter 3, a story that we know extremely well. So if you want to be turning to chapter 3, we're going to spend a little bit of time there as we kind of try to bring this thing uh, and, and, and talk about how all this connects. In a story we know extremely well, Mad Madeline, you talked about this on, on Sunday night, I believe, um, and we get to chapter 3 of, uh, of uh, Exodus. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to do a little bit of reading. And I know we're reading a lot, but I think for us to fully grasp what, what I want us to take from tonight, we need to be reading some of this stuff. It says in verse 1, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, uh, the priest of Midian, 
And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Or in this situation, uh, like I said before, many scholars would say this is Sinai. Now, if you think about Moses, just that little bit of backstory. He was born an Israelite while they were in slavery. Uh, the Egyptian princess found him. He was raised in Egypt. He killed an Egyptian for striking a Hebrew slave, and then he's on the run. And so he's out here being a shepherd uh, for his father-in-law, Jethro. Verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look, of, look at God. And I, I guess I never really put this together and, and, um, and until I sat here and read these two stories. But it's amazing how much Exodus chapter, uh, Exodus chapter six, or 3 and Exodus chapter 19 have in common with vastly different groups of people. And even though they're less than a year apart, a vastly different person Moses. He's sitting there at Mount Sinai, which is something in common. There's something that's in fi on fire that's not being consumed. For Moses, it was the burning bush. For the people of Israel, you have this whole mountain that God has come down and covered in fire. God is speaking through this fire. God is speaking on the mountain. God is going to establish a border to Moses at the burning bush saying, hey, don't come near Take your sandals off where you're standing. It's holy ground for the people of Israel. He's going to say, don't come near. If you touch the side of the mountain, you're going to be killed from afar. And Moses hides his face because he was afraid to look at God. In the same way, the people of Israel are going to tremble in fear of God. Moses in Exodus 3 and the people in Exodus 19, in different ways, but in eerily similar ways, see who God is, and they're afraid. And right now, I think we could probably get into a conversation about, hey, we look at our world today, and like people don't fear God like they should. People don't see God in the same way that Moses saw God or the Israelites saw God. Like Maybe it's because we don't respect him as much. Maybe maybe. We, we, we don't, you know, even think he's super powerful anymore. Maybe we even struggle to think he exists. And, and that's stuff that we could have a conversation on, but that's a lesson for another day. Because tonight, the whole idea that we're going to look at is this idea how these groups of people looked onward from Sinai. Moses' encounter on Mount Sinai and the people of Israel, when they had their encounter with Mount Sinai, and look at how they moved Onward. I want us to start out, even though we started with the Israelites the first time and went to Moses, I want us to start out with how Moses moved onward from Sinai. Verse 7, this is after Moses, uh, Moses is sitting here with the burning bush, having a conversation with it. Then the Lord said, this is verse 7 of chapter 3, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings. Come, I will send you... 
you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So God looks at Moses and says, okay, buddy, what I want you to do is I want you to go back and I want you to see these people that, that, that you, know, you were born into that are in affliction in Egypt. And I want you to bring them out of that country. I want you to bring them here and, and, and get them out of slavery. I've heard their cry and I'm tired of this. And, and keep in mind, this is the same place where, where Moses is wanted for murder. This place that if he sets foot back in this land, he could die. He could be murdered. He could be tossed in prison for who he was and the traitor that he was. He had been on the run for his life. And now God is saying, look, Moses, I want you to go back to that land. For Moses to move onward from Sinai, it was going to be risking his life. It was going to be a full journey that was bigger than just traveling back to Egypt and bringing the people back to Sinai. For Moses, it was going to go from being a shepherd of a herd of fleet, a herd of fleet, a herd of sheep, to, to being this leader of a nation. For 40 years, they had kept the sheep. And now God is saying, look, man, you're done with the sheep. Time for you to lead people because I'm telling you to do it. Moses comes at him and says, well, God, what about this? And what about this? And, and God looks at Moses like he does to us and says, look, I, under, I hear your excuses. And, and frankly, I have solved all those problems already. Don't worry about them. You're going to do it. And nothing stood in Moses' way. And so how do we see Moses move onward from Sinai? Flip over to chapter 4. Let's look at verse 18. It says, Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they're still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. I think it's interesting here that, that God's going to wait to tell Moses that the people seeking his life are dead until after Moses goes to his father-in-law and says, Hey, let me go back to the land of Egypt. Let me go back to my brothers. And then God's like, Okay, now that you want to go back, by the way, the people who are seeking your life, they're not there anymore. You're good. And, and Moses says, all right, we're going back. I'm moving onward from this burning bush moment on Sinai to fully committing to you, God. To fully committing the rest of my life to serving you. And he's going to go back to Egypt. Back to the Israelites uh, and the people of Israel and how they moved onward. So I want us to take a step back. We read what they experienced in verse 10 through 20 and, uh, and how intense the mountain was. What happened right before that? They sit there in verse 7 in chapter 19 and say, So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded them. All the people answered together, and, and hear this, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people might hear when I speak to you and may also believe you forever. God is going to come in here and he says, I'm going to come show you my power. And, and the people have already said, We're going to serve you whatever you say, Lord. Yet in reality, before God even shows them this, how are the people of Israel going to move onward? Then he shows them who he is. He shows them their power, his power. And how do we see them 
move onward. So Moses goes up on the mountain, and he's going to spend time there receiving the law. And we're going to see how the Israelites move uh, onward from their, in honesty, a much bigger scale of God's power with the mountain, the entire mountain fire, in chapter 32. So go ahead and flip over there. Like I said, I know we're going to a lot of verses, but in the end, it all makes sense. So let's go to chapter 32. We're seeing the full story come together here. Moses goes up on the mountain, and then we get to chapter 32 and verse 1. This is another passage that we know so well that we learn from our youth. It says in verse 1, When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up! Make us gods who shall go before us. And as for Moses, this man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. (laughs) I I think this is actually... um, I, I kind of smile every time I read this because, like, can you imagine the entire people of Israel, like, yes, we're walking out here and Moses has led us out of the land and, and God has helped Moses lead us out of the land and he's gone and, and he's up in the mountains. And it's not, he's not even gone a long time. And, and they sit there and say, Aaron, like, we don't know who this Moses is anymore. We don't know who he is. Get, get us a new God. They treat Moses like he's some sort of chump, some guy who, who has, is like tossed to the back of the wind. This guy who, who literally led them out of Egypt, who they watch go into the court of Pharaoh and, and go head to head and say, hey, let my people go. Let God's people go. And they sit there like, yeah, forget about him. We haven't seen him in a while. Who knows what's become of this Moses dude. And they say, Aaron, we need some gods. Hey, Aaron, build us some gods. We, we want to worship something. What's crazy, th- the crazy thing to me is that Aaron's going to do it. He's even going to build an altar to the God. This is the funniest thing to me. He builds an altar to like worship this God that he has just forged out of a fire. It's like, Aaron, what are you doing? Are, are, you, like, are you okay? Do you realize what you're doing right now? The people of Israel moved onward from Sinai in a totally different way than Moses did. Even though the people of Israel sat there and they saw the wonderful glory of God, they saw the power of God, they had the same reaction as Moses when they saw God. They were afraid. They were scared. Them moving onward from God, them moving onward from Sinai, showed them moving on from God. It took them less than two months to forget who God was to move onward, to become bored of the idea of following God. To forget about that moment where there they were, watching the thunder, the smoke, the fire, the lightning, the trumpeting, the dark clouds, and all of it. It says in chapter 32 and verse 7, we see God's reaction to this. And the Lord said, to Moses. We also get a little bit more insight on what the people were saying. The Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed it and said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
I think this is also ridiculous. The people of Israel were building this calf, and they said, hey, this is the guy who took us out of the land of Egypt. Remember that guy who like led you with a, with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, and that one who you sat just a couple months ago and looked at Sinai and watched him come down and, and fire and the smoke and the clouds and the lightning and the thunder and the trumpeting? Yeah, I don't know who that is. This, this golden calf, this is the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, who was the one who... Who, who battled Pharaoh, who threw all these plagues on Pharaoh that, that made the gods of Egypt look silly. Now this, this gold calf that we've created, this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. They had entirely moved onward from God. God says in verse 9, And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone that my wrath might burn hot against them. And I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. I looked at Moses and said, man, when it's time for you to move onward from Sinai, you followed me. These people, they're stiff-necked. Let me make a nation out of you, Moses. A nation that, that will follow me. A nation that won't easily forget who I am. And Moses says, no, 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 please don't destroy the people. Please save the people. And God saves the people. We see two very different stories. Two very different outcomes of people who witnessed something on Sinai and who moved onward from Sinai in the course of action that they took and I want to offer us a challenge tonight to look at our lives and say, who are we in these two stories and how do we move onward? Which one of these stories do we relate to? When we have this calling of God to go into the world to make disciples, when we have this calling of God to repent and be baptized, we have this calling of God to, to live a life for him. Is our response going to be to find other interests because we get bored of God or we get distracted of who he is. When God seems to maybe not be present for just a moment of time, we choose other gods in our life. We devote our life to something else, to that extracurricular, to that sport, to that hobby, to that, that moment of relaxation that you can't wait to have. Maybe it's to the house that you own, to the, to the homework that you that you have to do, you know, you have to keep those grades up. Maybe it's to get that college scholarship, to be in charge of something for the first time in your life. You're investing in that. Maybe you were investing more in politics or, or that toy. And you don't want to say that toy. Like, you know, even in high school, you can have toys. Like, you know, it would be great to have, uh, for me, I would love to have like an ice rink in my backyard. Uh, anyways, uh, but, but to sit there and invest in that, to, to invest in that vacation that, that you're spending all your money on. Maybe it's that promotion that you're spending all your time trying to get to that group of friends or that family member. Maybe you're sitting there and you're saying, yeah, yeah man, I'm sure I'm glad I, I got that, that A in that class or else just my life was going to be miserable. I, I sure am glad that, that I have good grades because, like, I don't know who I'd be without my grades. Like, I'm going to get to go to college now and become something. I, I, I don't know who I'd be without, without, like, this friend who was with me through this tough time. Like, they really showed me a, a lot of love and purpose. 
I, I don't know what I would be if I, if I didn't have uh, this job. Like, this job gives me a reason to live. It, it gives me so much joy every morning when I wake up. If you're in that job, by the way, like, good for you. You're enjoying, you're enjoying your job. But, but hopefully it's not too much of a thing where it gives you too much purpose. We forget about this power of God. And we move onward from letting God be our focus. And we let those other things be the things that give us purpose, that give us a, a, a point of living, that give us joy in life. We turn to the other idols that consume us. Or is your response to God more like Moses? When God gives you a calling to, to live for him, hit your answers to follow him no matter what it's going to take. Is it a thing where we see God's power and we remember it, and, and because of that power, we're going to act in our lives in the way we should? And I think for so many of us, we could sit there, and, and I've been guilty at this in, in my life, we could sit there and be like, you know what, though? If I saw a burning bush, if I saw, you know, a mountain on fire, look, there's a beautiful hill right there. If I saw that hill covered in smoke and lightning and it quaked, and then God came down on a fire and there was a big cloud around it, and then there was a trumpet, like, yeah, you better believe. Like, I've seen the power of God. There's, there's nothing in me. I would follow him forever. And we sit there and we get that and we say, that's God showing his power. Yet it's so easy for us to ignore the power that was on the cross. The power that we have when we have faith in Jesus. Too. It's easy for us to ignore the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the lack of death for an eternity that came with the crucifixion. If I can realize there's power there, I see true power. Like I can realize that, that in that moment, God, who is a man on earth, could take on every single sin that has ever existed, that was in the past, that is in the present, or will forever exist. The, he could take on all those sins, the sins that are going to separate us all from God, every human being causing that separation and Jesus could sit there and take on every single one of those sins and yet he wasn't consumed with them the death was not consuming him enough that that he was consumed and eternally condemned no the fact that Jesus could take on all of these sins and forever have life forever be God even though he had to take on those things and die I can tell you what to me, that's a whole lot more powerful than a bush that burns and is not consumed. That's a whole lot more powerful than a mountainside that has God descending on it. To have a Savior who was burdened by every sin on the cross and was resurrected three days later just as much God as he was when he died. That shows us all that we need to see. So I ask the question, are you going to choose to be the Moses in this story and be all in on Jesus no matter what he asks? I want us to look at real quickly as we begin to wrap up how God will handle each situation um, how he'll handle the people of Israel, that mindset, and how he'll handle um, this idea of, hey, I'm going to follow you. Um, and, and so if you want to go with me, verse 33 of Exodus 32, 
Uh, we see his reaction to the golden calf. Moses does plead with him, says, hey, don't wipe him out from the face of the earth. He doesn't wipe him out from the face of the earth. Um, but what he does do, Moses looks at God and says, hey, don't blot their names out of the book. Blot mine. But God says, no. It says, verse 33, but the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. And unfortunately, uh, and this is not the, the happy, cheery side of things at all. If we sit here and we say, you know what? Forget about God. I'm not going to follow him. He will sit here and he'll say, yep, I'm going to blot you out of my book. But then we get to see the joy of, hey, this joyful thing of, hey, I'm going to choose to follow him. And in Deuteronomy 34, when Moses dies, we see God's thoughts on Moses. And in, I know Deuteronomy 34 is, is very far away from Exodus 32. It's not super far away. Just a few pages over. Um, a few books over, actually. Anyways, I'm going to just read Deuteronomy 34 and verse 10. And there has not arisen a prophet since an Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. None like him for all the signs and the wonders of uh, that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for the mighty power and the great deeds of terror that Moses did in all the sites of Israel. I think it's funny that it brings up these great deeds of terror um, again and, and, and brings that back up. Uh, God speaks highly of Moses. We also see Moses in Hebrews 11, which gives me great confidence um, that, that Moses will spend eternity uh, in heaven Moses was looked at someone who would forever find favor in the eyes of the Lord because he entirely devoted himself to him after he saw the power of the burning bush on Sinai. And I think that we can all look at our lives right now and say, you know what I deserve? As a human without Jesus Christ, I deserve the same fate that God was going to give to the Israelites. I deserve that destruction that when God looked at the Israelites previously and, and said, hey, I just want to wipe them out from the earth. We, we probably uh, can say like, yeah, I feel like I probably uh, deserve that as a human being. Remember what he said in verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath might burn a hot against them and I might consume them in order that I might make a great nation of you. But then Moses responds. This is what he said, and I, I touched on it. I was like, hey, this is what Moses, Moses like pleaded. This is what Moses says in verse 11 through 14. But Moses implored to the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Verse 13, or, or the end of verse 12 says, Turn your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land I have promised. I will give your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord God relented from the disaster that he had spoken on bringing to the people. The people of Israel as negative as it may sound, definitely deserve to be destroyed in this moment. Yet Jesus pleaded for their lives, or Moses pleaded for their lives. We just said, hey, we probably deserve that. Yet when Jesus goes to that cross, he's doing the same thing that Moses did with God, and, and we are saved. Destruction is not going to come upon us. That's a beautiful thing to think about as we move onward in our life. And so tonight I ask this question again. Are you going to be Moses? Or are you going to be the people of Israel? When you look onward in your life right now, 
It's not a, a, a really super complicated thing to think about. It's not a super complicated thing to sit there and, and say, are you going to follow God or are you not going to follow God? But I think it's beautiful to look at this story and, and, and allow ourselves to remember this idea of, again of which path are we going to follow. When we move onward in our life, when we move onward in looking at our spiritual life, when we move onward from this class, when we move onward from studying the scripture, what is our life going to look like? Are we going to move onward from Sinai in a way that follows God?